A retention schedule. What is it and how do you build it? Hello, thank you for joining us. This is What Counts, a podcast created by Trailblazer Consulting. Here we highlight proven solutions developed through our experience working with companies across various industries, and we talk about how you can apply these solutions to your company. We share our experience solving information management challenges like creating and implementing a records retention schedule, creating an asset data hierarchy, or helping with email management. This is Lee. And in this episode, Moore and I will talk about a retention schedule, what is it, and how to build it. Moore, why don't you take us away? Thanks, Lee. And yes, it is time to talk about retention schedules. You mentioned them in your introduction to our podcast every single episode. And it's now been over a year that you've been teasing people that we're going to talk about retention schedules. And there's a good reason for why it took us so long to get here, because the retention schedule is the most important policy item in your information governance program. But before you can build a good one, one that will work for your company, that's something you can implement and can follow and that covers all your records, you have to understand your business. You have to understand how people are creating records and what they're doing with them. So the assessment and all the work that we've talked about in previous episodes really builds you up to being ready to write a good retention schedule. But that doesn't tell you what it is. Tells you it's important, but not what it is. So a records retention schedule is a complete list, a comprehensive list of all of the records that your organization creates or holds And those records are what you use to complete your business processes and document the fact that you did your business processes and how you did them. The retention schedule doesn't just list the records. It also tells you how long you should keep them. And the how long depends on your operational needs. What do you need these records for to continue running your business? Your financial responsibilities. What do you need to demonstrate that you got revenue in, that you properly accounted for it, that you paid your taxes on it, that you had obligations to and from your customers or your partners, and that those financial obligations were fulfilled. And also any legal or regulatory requirements. Those vary depending on your industry, but at the minimum, everyone in the U.S. has requirements around equal employment, around the IRS, and at least some health and safety requirements if you have employees. So we have all of those things. And then depending on your industry, you may have additional health and safety requirements or other other regulatory needs. And you know what those are. You're in your organization. You know what business you're in. You know what your major regulatory commitments are. That retention schedule has to reflect those things. So I said this was a list of records. I think we've defined record a few times over the different episodes of our podcast but it's worth doing it again. A record is any set of data that is recorded or able to be recorded in any format or medium. So it could be a document, it could be an email, it could be an audio recording, could be a picture, could be a video, could be a row of data in a database. That's the first piece, it's all about format and medium. The second piece is, that set of data 
documents something and provides evidence of something. And the something is you running your business, the completion of a business process, a decision, an action, the approval process that you go through, demonstrating your compliance with applicable laws and regulations. So a record is any set of data in any format or medium that documents or provides evidence of the fact that you did something and how you did it. So what is a good retention schedule? A good retention schedule is one that people can clearly distinguish between record categories. So they aren't confused about, should I put this into this accounting record category over here or that one over there? You don't want to make the categories too granular so that you have to really really pick and choose between them because people won't do that. They'll just pick the first one and it may not be right. So instead, what we've evolved into over the years of building retention schedules is to really look at distinct, easily distinguishable categories. And one of the ways that we do that is looking at business process. So we've talked a lot about business process before and how people use information to complete a business process, how your business processes create new information. They document, you're actually creating the documentation that proves that you did the process and how you did it along the way. So using those business processes as a key organizing element for your retention schedule is best practice that has evolved over the last, I would say, 10 years. And that time frame, maybe it's 15 years now, that time frame is important because it kind of coincides with the real shift from any paper records into a fully electronic world. People may still be printing things out and sending them to offsite storage, but nobody's really using those records in offsite storage. It's more of a holdover, a kind of a security blanket. People think you're supposed to have paper. But People are really depending on electronic records. So what difference does that make in terms of how you create categories? Well, way back in the beginning of building retention schedules, one of the things that record categories did was help you in identifying records, organizing them in a file cabinet, in a file room, labeling them. So you wanted more granularity because those labels were the only thing you really had to guide you to the right place. But in the electronic world, you have a lot of other metadata that you can add to every document, to every collection of documents that gives you a lot more access to find what you need. You don't need to count on the record category as being the primary way that you find things. And that's great because that means you can create bigger buckets, group records together by, okay, these are all the records that we need to do this business process. It's all the inputs, it's all the outputs. It's everything that supports and documents the fact that we did this process and how we did it. And they all have the same retention. They all have the same trigger. And that trigger is something we're gonna talk about in a second, but it's an important piece because it's the transition from an active record to an inactive record. And it starts your retention period. I'm going to pause there for a second and see what you're thinking, Lee. No, that was good. That was well, uh, very thorough. I do have a couple of questions, though. You talked about regulations um, and that 
a person in their organization so to understand the regulations that apply to them that's great do regulations always tell you how long you should keep something that's one question <laughs> then uh you talked about granularity and in that same kind of paragraph you talked about buckets and so is there kind of a an average number of record categories that an organization could have is 500 categories too many you know just give some people some ideas is two buckets too little and so i just wanted to kind of throw out some questions to guide us somewhere those are really good questions so let's take them separately the regulations wouldn't it be great if the regulations said, these are the records you should keep and this is exactly how long you should keep them and this is when the countdown starts? Hardly any regulations actually say it that clearly. Instead, the regulation might say, save all records to demonstrate safe operation. And then you have to decide, what do I need to demonstrate safe operation and how long do I need it? So there are some rules of thumb that kind of cut across industries and types of records that we've developed over the years. But it really comes down to thinking about your business, thinking about the risks that you face and the value that your records bring in terms of operating your business and the risk of keeping things that you, sh that you don't need for too long. So for instance, if you're talking about accounting records, financial records, Sarbanes-Oxley records, those things all run basically on your fiscal year. Your fiscal year might be a calendar year. It might be some other 12-month period, but you are managing accounting processes, accounting for income, and paying taxes in a 12-month period. So it's pretty straightforward to say, all right, our finance and accounting records, we're going to cut them off at the end of every year we're going to save them for a certain amount of time. So that cutoff, that's the trigger that starts the retention period. And the how long we look at audit statutes of limitation for the IRS and for state and local governments. We look at Sarbanes-Oxley requirements and we look at kind of the interrelationship of records in the financing world with other parts of your business, say contract management. So you might want to look at your contract statutes of limitations based on your jurisdictions and come up with a number that you're that you're comfortable with. We typically look at between seven and 15 years, and it really depends on the organization, the industry, and the jurisdictions to see where the comfort level is. And it's a business decision, ultimately. Uh, another kind of rule of thumb that you could think about is employee records. Employee records are very valuable while the employee is at your company. They lose value to you once the employee leaves. So that's the trigger is kind of termination of employment. Then how long you keep them after that depends on things like the industry that you're in and whether there are potential you know, hazardous conditions that there may be medical files or medical filings coming back later. That would tend to stretch out your, your HR records. Things like benefits or retirement plans. There might be some records that you need to keep for employees for a long time because you're providing benefits over time. And you may have 
some jurisdictional requirements. Um, the EU and the UK tend to have much longer employee file retention requirements than the US does. So you think about these things and you look at your business, look at your risks and values, and you make your decisions. The critical thing is once you've made your decisions and you document them, you want a retention schedule that you will actually be able to implement. So this comes to the granularity question that you asked about, is it two buckets? Is it 500 buckets? What makes the most sense? And like I was saying, in the world of paper, the record category was a key way to organize information. In the electronic world, it is a much less important way. In fact, a lot of people won't even notice or see your record category, your retention requirement. It might be in the back end of your system. Only the records manager really sees it, the administrators. From the front end, you want to think about how do people use this information? What's going to be intuitive for them to put together? And so two buckets seems very, that seems like too little to me. Um, you kind of would end up then with some, you know, half the records would be in the life of company bucket and just keeping things indefinitely. And the other half would be, say, in a two, a two or three year, very short term transitory record bucket. That means you're keeping a lot of things for the life of company that you probably don't need. So I think that's too few. 500. When I first started in records management, the very first retention schedule that I ever looked at was a government one, and it had over 700 record categories on them. And what did I know? I memorized them all. Um, but the uh, but nobody needs that anymore. There were a lot of overlapping categories. It was very hard to distinguish one from another. And another kind of legacy retention schedule building block was departmental retention schedules where you had the exact same records. They happened in the finance department and in the uh, admin department and in the legal department. They were all exactly the same in terms of the records. For instance, correspondence was a big one, but they named them all differently because they were in a different department. And frequently they gave them a different retention period just because they didn't talk to each other. So that thank goodness has gone away, that departmental world not following those organizational structure outlines because they tend to change very rapidly, which makes your schedule hard to maintain. So 500 is too many. Two is too few, 500 is too many. What we have seen over the past 10 years of building retention schedules in multiple industries, um, highly, heavily regulated industries like energy and pharma, as well as far less regulated industries like entertainment and fashion, is somewhere around a hundred categories is probably the right number. And that's typically a hundred categories that are aligned against 15 to 20 major business functions and processes. And some of them, you might just have one function, one category. So engineering and construction records for an infrastructure company, those things are gonna be kept for the life of the asset all of the design documents, the construction job books, all of that is going to be same records, reten same retention, same category. You're going to keep it together. You're going to organize it by the name of the facility or the building that you're building. <laughs> and you only need one category there. But HR tends to have a lot of regulations in it. 
and you end up separating those out because they do end up with pretty different retention schedule, retention periods. And because of the sensitivity around privacy data, you don't want to keep records too long in the HR world. So you want to break them out so that you can get start getting rid of things as soon as you can. So about 100 is kind of where we have seen have seen it come out most of the time. That was a lot of information to take in, Maura. In a, some kind of summary, regulations don't always tell you exactly how long you should keep something. They do give guidance, and it's important to understand the risk tolerance of your organization and combine those two. Sometimes you default to an operational need and give a retention period based on that. Uh, the granularity depends on kind of the processes within your organization, um, not departments, as you said, because those change the processes. What is it that the company does? And can you break that out? Right. They accounts payable. They pay their bills. That's a process. That's good. That's a that's a category in itself. A hundred. I think that's a good goal. I think 200 is is a little too many. 500 obviously is way too many. You got to cut that down. There's a lot in retention schedules and we're going to talk about them again because something you can do with your retention schedule is collect other information that will help you implement your information governance program. For instance, you can collect the sensitivity of the different data that's in each category. We're going to talk about information classification and how you can use that another time you could potentially look at some ownership or custodian kind of markings or tags or hooks in the retention schedule. That's a little harder to do and it changes more often, but it's, but it's possible. So there's some things that you can do with this critical central policy document that can make your implementation steps easier. And that's where we're going next. So I'm going to stop there for today. Thanks everyone. And Hang in there. The retention schedule is going to be uh, a critical thing and it's going to make sense. So tune in next time to learn about information classification. If you have any questions, please send us an email at info at trailblazer.us.com or look us up on the web at www.trailblazer.us.com. Thank you for listening and please tune in to our next episode. Also, if you like this episode, please be a champion and share it with people in your social media network. As always, we appreciate you. The listeners. Special thanks goes out to Jason Blake who created our intro music.